Why is it the same repetitive mistakes continue to rob salespeople of more commission checks, regardless of industry, size of company, or region of the globe? These same inhibitors are holding us back from reaching our full potential. Amongst many industry awards, Ian Selby achieved the accolade of top salesperson in the world at Apple. And in this podcast, he will discuss the issues that sales professionals encounter from his own experiences, confessing to the problems he has endured and how he overcame them, giving the benefit of his wisdom to everyone listening who work in the world of sales. To help you, he will reveal strategies to overcome the issues hurting salespeople and helping you reach new levels of sales success. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With your host, Ian Selby. Welcome to Confessions of a Sales Pro. This week, my special guest is a returning guest to the podcast, a gentleman by the name of Dan Zimmer, Regional Sales Manager for Data Visual Marketing in Vancouver. Dan's career in sales and sales management spans nearly 40 years, during which time Dan has held a number of sales leadership roles, as well as being a business owner and CEO. He has always carried and crushed a quota. In addition to selling, Dan has also been a radio talk show host, a television guest, and a television game show contestant. For the past 25 years, he has been in the audiovisual and collaboration industry, where he has had the opportunity to work with hundreds of customers in both private and public sectors, assessing and improving their communication capabilities. Dan is currently the regional sales manager for data visual marketing, a national distributor of audio visual solutions headquartered in Ottawa, Canada. You can find Dan on LinkedIn and via data visuals contact page at www.datavisual.ca. Dan Zimmer, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Thank you so much, Ian. It's a pleasure to join you again. I, we, I really enjoyed our conversations last time. It's, uh, we, we got some great feedback from, from the, the nuggets of information, jewels of wisdom you, you dropped on the listeners. So it's my pleasure, and thank you, sir, for, for taking the time to come back on the podcast. So, Dan, you and I both, we started in the computer industry way back, the wild, wild west, I like to call it, in the early days of the desktop, PC, and the Mac. I'm curious as to how you got from there into the AV world and what has kept you in the AV industry for the past 25 years, man. <laughs> well, that's, that's quite the path. And boy, when you said the Wild West, it really was the Wild West back then. The, 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 it was a very, very different computer industry than the one we have today. And I was in it for maybe about the same length of time you were, about 12 or 13 years. Uh, starting with the desktop computer. I was originally selling to schools. Uh, you may not know this, but I actually set out in life to become a teacher. That's what I went through. That's what I went to university for. I got a, an undergraduate to liberal arts undergraduate degree and got a teaching certificate. I even student taught. I taught, I taught grade two and, and grade five. Um, but, but life intervened and I ended up in the computer industry. And I, I did that for a number of years. And one of the last roles I held there was I had my own company. I had my own distribution company. And uh, one of the products that, that we carried, one of, one of the products of several vendors we carried was this thing from, and I think at the time it was Kodak. You remember Kodak the film folks? 
they had this they had this LCD panel that you could lay on top of an overhead projector and plug into your laptop, and it would project your laptop's screen up onto a projection screen. And and it was expensive. I, I, I can tell you that much as well. I think it was you know, probably close to $10,000 back then. And that thing absolutely blew my mind. I, I have to tell you, when I was student teaching, one of, the, one of my favorite tools was the overhead projector. Um, because, you know, when, when we grew up, the teacher faced the blackboard and then turned around and looked at the class. And the overhead projector gave you the opportunity to look at the class while you were presenting visual information to them. I just found it was much, much more effective. And that way you could look at kids' faces and you could tell, you could watch the light bulbs go on, right? You could look around the room and you could tell who got it maybe struggling because you could see them as you were presenting material. And when I saw this, I thought, this what, what an amazing tool. Because up until that point, if you were giving a presentation, you remember this well, it typically meant standing in front of a group of people, maybe you had a flip chart as a visual aid. You know, that was the extent of it. And, and there was perhaps there were handouts to go with that. So it was, it was a very different world from a group communications perspective back then. And I see this LCD thing, and I'm, I'm thinking, holy cow, this is just a way more dynamic way of presenting information to a group. And, and actually, I think you made the introduction to the company I ended up joining, a company called Aurora Visual Systems, but I switched right there. I switched to the AV industry, plus the margins were better. And, you know, as we say in sales, follow the money. I follow the money. And I switched to AV, and I've been in AV for the last, oh, it's slightly more than 25 years, long time. And what's kept me in AV is the fact that it's, it's an exciting space in terms of enablement and the impact it brings to people's ability to communicate. And that's across business sectors as well. You know, we're a distributor, so our customers are the dealer channel. And we get to work on projects from small mom and pop businesses, MS, SMEs, up to, up to the federal government and everything in between. Uh, with every aspect of enabling communication and collaboration. So in, in many ways, I'd never left teaching. You know, it's really all about helping people communicate their message and educating people on how best to communicate their, their message. And so that really, that, that brings us to, to today and some of the things that I'm hoping we're going to be able to talk about. What would you like us to explore? It, it's, uh, it sounds like when you saw that projector plugged into a, a PC or a laptop, or maybe they didn't even have laptops back in those days, uh, it was a game changer. And you saw the vision of what this could do, or anyone in the communication, teaching, uh, field, or business. And I think that's what you continue to do, Dan. You continually look for, discover, and introduce game-changing technologies to help people communicate, collaborate more effectively. And so that seems to be the path you're on, my friend. It's game-changing tools and technology for, uh, that make a difference for people. Um, so, so the last time you and I were on and chatting about, uh, about technology, about your journey, we reviewed some top tips for salespeople to survive and thrive in a hybrid work environment, this new place we find ourselves today. 
Uh, I was hoping we could explore a bit further on that. Do you think, Dan, hybrid is here to stay? What's your, what's your gut on this? Well, uh, uh, hybrid is clearly here to stay. You know, a number of organizations like Chippy Archer Group, Robert Half, it, there are there are an abundance of studies, and all of the experts seem to concur that hybrid is here to stay. But the last time you and I talked, you know, the world was still mostly in full lockdown. And uh, so it was really work from home. You know, that's what people are talking about, work from home, that learn from home. You know, the tools to help you work from home and learn from home by a video using tools like Zoom and Teams and, and whatnot. And, uh, but fast forward to today, things are starting to open up. Uh, and back then, the hybrid workplace, you know, where people were maybe spending some time working from home, some, you know, some time at the office, it was more of an idea than a reality, right? And, but today, that, today that, that movement is underway. And it's a huge societal shift. You know, it has ramifications far beyond what we're talking about here. But uh, the, the idea of people either fully working remotely or spending maybe one or two or three days at the office and the rest of the time working remotely, it's really hard to imagine the genie ever going back into that bottle. And in fact, there have been a number of, you know, Six months ago, people were talking about what's your hybrid strategy. Now people are talking, now analysts are looking at the societal effects and the impact on the workforce for, for this new sort of hybrid reality. And one of the most interesting things I, I read recently was uh, Robert Half, of course, Robert Half, the HR company that responsible for placing a lot of people in positions. Uh, they conducted a study where very interesting statistic. They found that that just in job postings, so job postings for, for professional positions, they've recorded a 190% increase in the job postings that specifically mention remote work. And remote work wasn't even a wasn't even a term two years ago. So now a lot of these a lot of these postings are emphasizing the fact that the position allows you to work remotely uh, or work partially remotely and there are people out there who are clearly making career decisions based on that and uh, another that's a complete a complete sidebar here but another interesting impact of this whole thing is is the impact on the gig economy so we hear a lot of buzz in the business press about the great resignation and how a lot of people have just opted to not return to their pre-covid positions or pre-covid jobs or to see seek different opportunities a lot of those opportunities are what are what we would now call the gig economy so people have opted to work remotely full-time and perhaps just pursue contract work a lot of people have moved to less expensive jurisdictions and this is certainly north america wide and i i expect this is probably happening in in europe as well but big big changes so so now with things really beginning to open up you know it's no longer a question of you know if hybrid, if hybrid is going to happen it's really how hybrid is going to happen that's what people are looking at now is is how best to deploy a hybrid strategy what is the best hybrid strategy and uh, that's where we're at today really with regard to hybrid i've, I've had uh, it's fascinating and and a change, like something that the world's never had to deal with before in terms of 
know, remote, uh, you know, working from home. I, I've heard other people call it, I live at work now. Now that I work at home, <laughs> I live at work. Or <laughs> <laughs> right, you can't get away from the workplace, you live there. Exactly. It's like it's everyone's their own boss to a certain degree. Stuff or technology, and it's like it's so easy to, you know, it's, but, but there's got to be some give and take there. There's some balance issues that uh, arise from this. And that kind of leads me to an, another question that I think our listeners, uh, predominantly sales, leadership, entrepreneurs are, 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 are wrestling with. If an account manager is going to spend 30, 40, or even 60% of their time engaging with clients via video, Zoom, Teams, what have you, uh, what really changes for them, Dan? What is the bigger impact for them? Well, that's a really important question to be asking for account managers and for sales leaders in general. You know, if this is the path forward, what does it mean? Uh, What do we have to provide our sales force? Uh, what metrics we have to put in place. These are the big, big questions. So these are the topics I think are going to be, are going to be uh, top of mind in sales conferences uh, for 2022, certainly. And uh, so what changes for reps who are on camera? About the last time we talked, I think we really touched on some of the tools, some, I guess you could say, best practices. You know, make sure you've got a proper camera. Don't rely on your laptop camera. Um, Make sure you've got proper audio. These kinds of things. Now, these are really the basics. That's sort of hybrid 101. And and this is within a larger field that we call unified communications. That's where all of these tools fit. Zoom, Teams, all of the hardware and the software that go with that is part of this unified communications industry, which has really been driving our business. As you can imagine, for the last two years, the AV industry is really going through a strong period of growth because of the demand for this. And uh, I, one of the things I would like to talk about in a little more depth is the importance of good, clear video. And um, because I had a number of people reach out to me about that on our last call, like, well, what's a good camera? Where should the camera be? What kind of lighting should we have? And, and these are still... And I'm on a lot of calls. And I see a lot of bad video. I see a lot of <laughs> I see a lot of bad lighting. So I understand that the message still needs to get out there. So this is an opportunity to get that message out there. In terms of being, you know, if you're going to be spending a good portion of your day uh, making presentations or engaging with clients via Zoom or Teams or WebEx or whatever your UC tool happens to be, there are some fundamentals that you need to pay attention to, and more importantly, we'll look at why. I think last time we just talked about the tools you should use. This time, I really want to examine the why in greater depth. So first mm-hmm. of all, quick recap. Make sure you've got a proper camera. Don't use your laptops or your tablets camera because, they're A, they're not great cameras. B, uh, they, they're typically at completely the wrong height. So height is important. It's important that the camera at eye height. Now, that may mean that you have to improvise a bit, especially if you are accustomed to being on the road. Back in November, during one of the small windows in which we had to travel, I, my wife and I managed to get away to Mexico for, for a week or so, and I had to deliver a, an important presentation while I was down there. And uh, I, had, I had thought far enough ahead to bring a proper keyboard to use with my laptop and my USB speakerphone, which again gives you much, much better audio than your laptop's built-in mics do. 
So again, it's really important to have the proper tools. And I had brought a proper webcam, but I, I quickly realized, oh, I, I don't have, I can't, I don't have, I don't have a, I don't have a camera stand. So I ended up having to put my laptop on top of an upturned ice bucket, <laughs> right? <laughs> you say improvise. You do what you have to do. I, I had it on top of an ice bucket. Uh, I had the laptop perched on top of that. It was at the right height. And then I had to drag the table over so it was in front of the window. So I was getting good natural light. You know, the room was the room was dark. I had to get some natural light. I had to make sure I was properly lit. The great thing about uh, the great thing about Zoom and Teams is they will show you your near end view, so you have a gauge against which to determine how you how good you look to the far end. So I I got it I got it the way I liked it liked it to be. And the reason you want the camera to be at eye height is it's really important to look at the camera when you're presenting. The whole, you know, this is, this is uh, these are some of the really important things we have to keep in mind when we're doing Zoom and Teams. The goal is to come as close to duplicating the actual in-person face-to-face experience as you can. Now, that means uh, looking at a person eye height, making eye contact, mm-hmm. doing all the things you would do if you were face-to-face. It's it's you're trying to rep, you're trying to create the illusion of being face to face as as people in the in as people in the industry say. So you need that camera at the right height. Now, I had I came across a really interesting tool to help this because one thing that uh, one thing that there are people out there who know this and they have their camera at the right height. But one thing you will see them doing when you're talking with them is they're obviously fairly constantly glancing down at their screen. So they're breaking eye contact with you, which however subtly is disruptive. There's just no two ways around mm-hmm. that. So I happened to be on a podcast with, uh, I'm watching a podcast from a gentleman named Mark Bowden. I don't know if you know Mark. He's actually, uh, he's actually, I, I think either based, I think he's either in Ottawa or Toronto, but he's a world-renowned body language coach and expert. Mm-hmm. So he often appears on television to analyze the body language of politicians, and he's got a number of books. A very, very interesting gentleman. And but on his on his personal podcast, he was showing. He often goes through the kit he uses when he's on the road. You know, when I'm in a hotel, this camera I have. This is what I do with the lighting. It's all very relevant for a sales professional. And really, that's what Mark is doing. He's selling. You know, he's selling his services. He's selling. He's selling concepts so he has he come across this thing called the plexicam now it's not something we sell but you can find it online the plexicam it's a plexiglass bar that clips on the front of your monitor that has a little sliding platform on the front so what you do is Mm -hmm. you take that webcam you put it on this sliding platform and you slide it down to the center of your screen so it's going to sit in front of your presentation that you're presenting at the far end. Now, presumably, you know your presentation well enough that having that camera there is not going to disrupt you. And and never under any circumstances should you be reading the text off your screen anyway. If you're going to do that, you might as well just email the presentation at the far end. Uh, But you can have this, you can position this so that it's in front of your presentation. That way, when you are looking at the slide, you're still making eye contact from the far end. So it's a very effective tool. And I think this thing is, is... under a hundred dollars, right around hundred dollar mark, and I have yet to invest in one, but it's on my it's on my shopping list. I plan on getting one sometime, certainly sometime within the next month or two. Uh, 
I thought that was a great tool. So that's a great way of keeping that camera at eye height. And we also talked about video. I said I dragged the desk over. I got some good natural light. And, and the best kind of light to have is, is relatively cool light that replicates daylight. That, that is the most flattering to most people's skin tones. So we had talked about having video conferencing lights for your, for your setup. Uh, which are readily available. You can find them anywhere. And there's certainly lots of choices on Amazon. Let's talk a bit about the kinds of lights you should have and where you should position them for best effect. And again, this is all about ensuring that your message to the far end is, is, is as impactful as it could be. So you will see that these ring lights, these circular LED lights are very popular. Mm-hmm. And they're, prob- they're probably the most widely available. And a mistake I see a lot of people making is just getting one of those and putting it behind their monitor, perhaps attaching it to the top of their monitor so it shines in their faces. Now, a ring light is better than bad lighting. I will say that. But the problem with the ring light parked right in front of you is, first of all, you've got that ring in your, you've got that ring of light in your eye, in your eyes, and uh, which is uh, which is hard on you as the presenter. The other problem with those lights. And once I mention this, you will never not be able to see it if you're, if the shot you have at the far end is close enough. You can see that circle of light reflected in people's pupils. It's a it's phenomenon we call ring light. You see these, it's, it's, and it's strange once you see it, it almost looks like you're uh, a, a cat caught in the headlights in the dark. Your eyes, uh, <laughs> the, the, lights, the lights reflect in your eyes. So it looks odd. And again, now that I've mentioned it, it's like inoculating people against it. They'll notice it every time they see someone with ring light in the call. So ideally, you want your lighting to be at diagonals, so at 45-degree angles on either side of you when you're in a call. And again, sometimes if you're on the road, you have to improvise to get that effect. And you do what you have to do. It's never a bad idea to bring a portable light with you. And most of them are USB-powered, so it's very easy to find ways to plug these in. And you can get telescoping stands for them. Uh, to get them at the right height, but you want them at 45-degree angles uh, so that, A, they're not shining right in your face, they're not shining right in your eyes, which, and by the way, when you have a light directly in front of you, it does tend to wash out your features a bit. So the great thing about having lights at diagonals is they, is they provide a bit more depth to your face. Mm. And you can also get fancy and do what I've done. I have both of my lights connected to a smart plug, and I literally just go, Alexa, turn on the video conferencing lights, which is a really convenient thing to do when people, Zoom or Teams, you just ad hoc, you know, suddenly you're getting a video call coming in, you don't have time to jump up and turn on the lights, you can just tell, you can tell your smart device to turn the lights on for you. And uh, that's, that's a handy thing to do. But, but the bigger question is, and something we didn't address on, the, on our last call was, why is this so important? You know, why is the lighting so important? Why is the camera so important? Why does the video have to be so good? And the, the answer you would think would be obvious, but we get asked by, certainly by our customers, not our customers so much as the customers of our dealers, to do some things that are just counterintuitive, like put the camera over here, but we're going to be looking over there. Uh, okay, you're now you're not even looking at the camera. That doesn't make sense to begin with. You know, from the get-go, that's kind of a non-starter. Um, but the other thing is people want to put the camera too far away. So they're too small to the far end. 
the reason we want a good camera and the reason we want a good tight head shoulders shot is so that people at the far end can see our faces. They can read our expressions. Remember when I said I used to be in the classroom, it was really important for me to face the class to see what was going on, to gauge what was going on in kids' heads by looking at their faces. And oh, this is an opportunity for a great segue because I just watched this 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 weekend. But have you seen uh, have you seen Macbeth, the latest version of Macbeth, the Coen Brothers mm-hmm. Macbeth with no, Denzel Washington and, and Francis McDormand? I I highly recommend it. It's a fantastic movie, and love it, I love it. He's great, and Francis McDormand is just absolutely fantastic. I mean, she makes everything she's in a better picture. She's also yeah. married to Coen Brothers. Rio, film, right? <laughs> oh, between them. Between them. And it's a black and white film, too. It's just very moody, very atmospheric. But the reason I mention this is because, you know, for those who, don't, who aren't familiar with the story of Macbeth, and many people aren't, you know, everyone's heard of Macbeth. What's the story about? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lord. This, oh, you'll relate to this. It's about Scotland. It's, but a lord in Scotland, a lord and his wife. So Lord Macbeth and his wife, Lady Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, Lord Macbeth is going to the forest. He runs across three weird sisters. Okay. He's got three crazy ladies who are telling him, Hey, you know what? We had a vision. We think you can be King of Scotland. And uh, he goes home. And he's like, wife, crazy thing happened to me. I don't watch the woods here. These, 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 these three odd, oddly dressed women told me I could be, King of Scotland. It's crazy, huh? Well, she, she doesn't think it's so crazy. You know, she takes it seriously. She seriously wants, now, now she's like, maybe we should bump off the king. You, if we do, you become King of Scotland. No, seriously, we're, we're, let's talk about this. And if you have read the play, or if you've seen the play, you know that the title character is Macbeth, but Lady Macbeth gets all the best lines. She does. She's really the star of the show. She's the one with the ambition. She's the one that really pushes uh, Macbeth to, uh, to plot to assassinate uh, the King of Scotland. And uh, one of the great lines she has, by the way, when I'm watching, while I was watching this, I was thinking, because see, I was, I was half thinking about our session today, and I was half thinking about the movie. I'm, it dawned on me of the many, many, many times I've seen the production of Macbeth. It's the first time I realized it's a sales, it's a sales story. <laughs> it, in essence, it's a sales story. Macbeth comes home, tells his wife this, and she spends a good portion of the play selling him on the idea of doing what it takes to become king. And so it's a sales story, and boy, talk about a, sale, talk about a story of uh, uh, buyer's remorse. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decision they both come to regret, but one of her great lines, besides out damn spot, uh, which most high school kids remember, is at one point they've already planned that they're going to assassinate Duncan, the existing king. And uh, they're going to a banquet, and she just stops Macbeth in his tracks, and she goes, Your face, Thane, is a book wherein men may read strange matters. So basically she's telling him, look, we haven't even done the deed, and you, all, you already look guilty as, as sin. You know, you've got to, you have to mend your face, look like you don't have a care in the world because people are going to, you know, people are going to wonder what's up with you if they look at your face. So she was very concerned about, and certainly as, as, as a society, we have been concerned about the importance of facial expression since the time of the, of the, the, the great period of Roman orators. 
And uh, and you, here you've got Lady Macbeth talking about it in Elizabethan England. So facial expression has always been very important. And uh, in terms of conveying the conveying the essence of your spoken communication. Now, back in the seventies, there was there was really that was this the the start of research into how important facial expression is in communication. And there was a psychologist, Albert Moravian, who has been misquoted by a couple of people. And there, for a long time, the received wisdom is that you know your body language, your nonverbal communication, accounts for ninety three percent of the meaning in your communication. And that's been largely debunked today. Most psychologists recognize that obviously nonverbal communication is really important, but they're not going to peg a percentage on it. You know, they're, they're, some people say 60, 70. It's very, very important. They do agree that it's more important than your, than your spoken communication. So your facial communication mm-hmm. is very important. It's, it's by no accident that if you watch All-Star Poker on TV, the players wear make dark glasses the way they wear visors because they know that it's almost impossible to keep your face from betraying your emotional state. Now, when you are in a sales presentation, you want to, uh, if anything, you want to telegraph your emotions through your facial expressions. I had a great presentation. In fact, as, as part of my entry into the AV industry, I actually had to teach presentation skills for about eight years. And the company I was with brought in a great coach. And one of the things he told us that I will never forget is if you want an audience to have an emotion, you must give it to them first. Mm-hmm. If you give them an emotion, they'll mirror that emotion. And it just made perfect sense. And it's, and it's certainly supported by research. So it's really important that people be able to see your face and uh, and that helps them decipher the emotional content, the emotional intent behind your communication. That's really an important part of it. That makes sense. I mean, you've oh, Dan, that makes a hundred percent sense to me. And, and I'll tell you why. Because you know, I think I, the body language, uh, expression, and spoken word. There are percentages, and I know lots of different numbers out there, but uh, the words are like five percent, right? That that you actually say now. Body language ends up being the biggest chunk of it. So when you're in a uh, pre-COVID presentation and you're in a room, a boardroom somewhere presenting, like you and I have done forever, you have your Many. body language to to bring it alive. It's it's the color commentary. It 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 brings your story, the words alive. And on technology, using Zoom, Teams, whatever it is today, we don't have body language anymore. All we really have is facial expression to illuminate our story. And if the lighting is good, we're going we're gonna to communicate more effectively. That makes so much sense to me. Absolutely makes sense to me. Well, and certainly as a sales professional, if you offer someone a choice, look, would you rather deliver your pitch over the phone or face-to-face? Everybody yeah. is going to say face, face-to-face because it's so much more powerful. You know, my hat's off to those those SDRs and those inside sales reps reps who have to live on the phone and and generate business, fill the pipeline. Because there's a real skill to that, having to compensate for not having your body language. And, um, but with with these tools today, we don't have to make that sacrifice. Most of us can be on camera. That's that's what I love what you're talking about. I, I love the idea of the, 
What did you call it? Plexi? What was that tool you talked about? It's something called the Plexi Cam. It's worth making note of. In fact, when I when I find the link again, I'll forward it to you because it's that. just it's it's fabulous for people who are, who are regularly having to engage with clients via video. It just really helps you preserve that that personal feeling and the eye contact. Absolutely. And I'm a big now, believer in the three no's. Know your audience, know your content, and know your objective when you're presenting. Right. Ab- so absolutely. if you don't know your content. Do some homework on that first, like pre-work, like make sure you know it cold so that you, you know, even if you were PowerPointless, you could still communicate the message. So having something right in front of me to say, look at your audience, never mind your slides or whatever it is you're going to talk about, uh, it supports that theory 100%. Well, and on that, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, I was going to say on, on that talk, because people have asked me this before, was, well, can I use can I use my phone camera? Because yeah, every everything I hear tells me that my camera's phone, you know, or my phone's camera is fantastic. It's better than better than my webcam. Or can I use my tablet's camera? These questions come up often. And you know, it, one thing that one thing that photographers are fond of saying is, what's the best camera you can use? The one you have with you, <laughs> right? <laughs> so if that's all, if that's if that's all you have. Certainly, your phone's camera is an excellent camera. You know, they're very, very, very high-res these days. There's a reason why that's not the ideal thing to do. One is that it's, uh, one is that you have to remember that you want the audience to see you as clearly as possible. If you're presenting off your phone, the far end view you're getting is really quite small. You're not seeing the far end as clearly as you could. So... Use the phone if you have to. The camera's very good. You have to make sure it's the right distance. But ideally, do it in front of a large monitor. In fact, if you can get the far end close to life size, the better. It's much more easy. It's much easier for you to interpret their emotional state. You just have a clearer view of their faces. One thing you have to keep in mind as well is that these video conferencing codecs that we're using, Zoom and Teams, most of that video is not 1080p. You know, it's not it's not high depth. High depth would be 1080p. It's typically 720p, which is half high depth. So it's a far cry from the 4K video you're going to see on the Super Bowl, yeah, or in Netflix. You know, it's just not as clear as as people might think it is. So do everything you can to help that and to help offset, to help compensate for that. Now the that's, um, that's, that's awesome tips on on what not like what. Uh, if you have to, you have to, but, you know, there's some, some right and wrongs even in that setting, for sure, for sure. Oh, absolutely. So hopefully that makes sense to, to listeners. Uh, make sure people can not just see you, but see you closely enough and clearly enough that they can read your face. That will, that will help yeah, your message. Big, big time. So, so what are some new UC tools that reps can leverage to improve their impact? Down? You, 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 you get asked this every day. I know you do. Maybe you could share well, with the listeners. Oh, I'd be happy to. And it's a space I watch quite closely, too, because, because COVID is driving a lot of innovation. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of interesting tools come out. I just really want to talk about one uh, that I've had the opportunity to use. In fact, I used it in my presentation from Mexico, is that in many instances, you would love to be face-to-face live on camera with, uh, with the client, but they're not available. 
or you have done the presentation for them. You know, you've done you've done the the uh, the real time video presentation with them, and you want to provide a follow up. Now, it's it's a simple thing to do to hit record on Zoom. But if your presentation to them is an hour, are you really asking them to sit through that again? I have a much better way of doing that. And I have a much better way of reaching out to people if you can't be live. So these tools have been around for two or three years, but you're seeing a lot of activity in this space with platforms and services uh, like Vidyard or Loom or Soapbox or Wistia. And what they are is non-real-time hosted video services. So they mm -hmm. give you the ability to, and this is a fantastic tool, I really strongly encourage people to investigate these. And uh, these, are, these are platforms that you can sign up for, and uh, most of them have some free tier for a small monthly fee. Uh, you get a few more services. But what they let you do is using your webcam and your existing laptop, you can log into the platform and they make it as easy as possible. It's typically just a plugin in your browser. It's that simple. So you can literally just click record and with your, your camera will record you in a bubble. So imagine talking head floating in front of your presentation while it's also recording your presentation. So what you, what the far end gets is a link in the email that you send them that takes you to this, that, that takes you to this, short recorded message or this short recorded video recap. And that lets you take that hour long presentation and reduce it down to two or three slides, just hitting the key points that you can send to people. And the great thing about doing this is that sort of follow-up from a learning perspective makes your message far stickier to give the client yeah, that. Yeah, they, can share it. they can share it with others on their team. I love this idea. It's Exactly, it becomes a shareable resource, and you've condensed it down to the essence in that slide. And they have, and they still have the benefit of your of reading your facial expressions because you appear as a talking head in front of that video. It's very right. powerful, and these platforms give you the option to place, you know, to place your talking head circle where you want on the screen uh, to accommodate the visuals that are on there, and usually to change the size of that window, the size of the window you're in. Best part is, and not all of us are polished presenters. A lot of these platforms also give you editing tools, so you can go back in after you've recorded it and trim the start and stop times, maybe do a little basic editing, adjust the lighting, that kind of thing. And then you're just sending people a link, so it's not a big embedded file. It's just a link that takes them to the hosted platform where they see this presentation. And and there are a lot of players in this space now because it's just really really taken off. And the one who I most recently top couple, yeah, the top one or two. Who, who would be the the, the leaders in that? Vidyard was, I think, one of the first soap soapbox player. The one I used last was Loom, and I found Loom to be very easy. Like you imagine weaving Loom, Loom, and I found it to be incredibly easy to use. Literally, I had it, I had it figured out within I think five minutes of being on their platform. There's a little video you download a plug-in to your browser chrome or what have you uh, or you can download a desktop app and within the desktop app will sometimes give you a tiny bit more functionality and it can literally sit there and be ready 
at the instant that you want to record a message. It's also just a great way. It's a great way of including dynamic content in maybe an email newsletter you send out. So I was accustomed to once every couple of months sending out sort of a state of nation email to the dealer channel, dealer channel in the West. And I'm going to be switching to sending out a little video thing because let's face it, people would rather watch video than read. Absolutely. But but still have the text there so they've got something to go back to reference without having to watch the video again. But the video is very effective. So that's that's my top tip for today is investigate these investigate these hosted video platforms and leverage them to make your sales message more impactful. Um, and uh, just really help your help your clients come to an informed decision. That's fantastic. Dan, I want to thank you so, so much for coming back on the podcast and, and sharing your pearls of wisdom. Um, to hear you and your passion for the industry and the leadership role you play, uh, it's just been such a, a welcome message. I thank you very much, uh, uh, Dan, for coming on the podcast. I'm so happy to have joined today, and hopefully we have the opportunity to do it again. Absolutely. My guest this week is a gentleman by the name of Dan Zimmer, Regional Sales Manager for Data Visual Marketing in Vancouver. Dan, thanks for being on the show, and thank you for listening to Confessions of a Sales Pro. If you have found this episode informative and helpful, we would be honored and appreciative if you would share this podcast with other great salespeople like yourself. And we look forward to you joining us for all new episodes weekly, every Thursday. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you'd like us to help you grow your sales commissions, visit us at salesmentoryou.com. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With Ian Selby.